I feel silly saying it, but it's the truth because we look past it sometimes. David would have never been known as a giant killer if he would have never faced a giant. And we, a lot of times, we want to be known as men and women of valor and victory and, 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 and uh, people that, that are fighters. And, but somehow we have a hard time having the fights. And we pray against those things, the valleys and stuff. We want to go around them. We don't want to face them. But, well, we always want victory. But if that's how we, we build character. That's how God takes us through to new levels is through problems and trials and tribulations. And uh, I'm certainly glad to know that, that I'm not going to be stagnant. I'm going to keep growing even though I have to go through tomorrow's troubles and trials and tribulations. I don't want them. I don't wish them. And I may face something tomorrow because I say what I'm saying. But the fact remains is we've got a God that can take us through. One thing Brother Robertson said Sunday night, I'll never forget it. I hope you caught it. He's talking about the eagle when she, when he, when she kicked her baby out of the nest. She was able to do that because that eagle knew that she could fly faster than that eaglet could fall. God said, if you make your bed in hell, there I am. You can't go anywhere in the world or anywhere in a problem that God's not already at. He's already there. You can go to the depths of this world into the worst places uh, in, in, in this world, but God is already there. I, I, I love that about God. He's already been there. If you have your Bibles this morning, iPads, uh, Whatever else they've got, iPhones. I have got a lot to read, so I'm going to try to get through it. And we do not have a projector this morning. I'm going to be going to Genesis 6, 13 through 17, Matthew 24, 30 through 37 through 39, Hebrews 11 and 7, 1 Peter 3, 20 and 21. You probably won't find them all, but if you do, that's good. And God said unto Noah... The end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it without, within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be three hundred cubits, the breadth of fifty cubits, and the height of it thirty cubits. The window... Notice he said, one window shalt thou make to the ark. You ever notice these pictures they got hanging in Sunday school classes? There's 35 doors and 462 windows. Try to make it look creative, but when God writes something or speaks something, he means, he means what he says. He said, one window, one door. In other words, there's one way, one way to safety. He was very specific when he told Noah how to build the ark. One Lord, one faith, and one baptism. I don't want to preach before I get preaching. But A window shalt thou make to the ark, and the cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower, second, and third story shalt thou make it. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh. Therein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. 
Matthew 24, 37, 39. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son, man, Son of Man be. For as in the days of Noah, uh, days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in the marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Hebrews 11 and 7. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the, to the saving of his house. Which was the most important thing. The responsibility of his own house. Not anybody else, but his own house. Fathers, we have a great responsibility to our own house. Say Amen. By the which we, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. First Peter three twenty through twenty one, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein a few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. Saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of, of the filth of flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This morning I want to teach, uh, preach on God's call precedes His judgment. God's call precedes His judgment. You may be seated. Is everybody awake in here this morning? All righty. We know that Noah lived about 2,000 years B.C., the tenth generation in descent from Adam and Eve. Civilization had slid into an immoral condition of selfishness, disrespect, cruelty, and debauchery. We can find in Genesis 6, 11 through 12, the Bible says the earth also was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted His, his way upon the earth. And this extreme corruption that He spoke about and the violence, brought it brought the flood. Sin always brings judgment. I want you to understand that this morning. You will always reap what you sow. talked about that Wednesday night. Pastor talked about that Wednesday night. Just because you get the baptism of the Holy Ghost doesn't mean there's, there's not going to be things that you've done in your past that you're going to reap from. I remember, and I'm glad he's not here because he'd probably kill me for saying it. My father, I remember walking in uh, Wednesday night after church when we was kids in our house. We'd been robbed, turned over all our furniture and everything was taken, all anything that was valuable. And I'll never forget it. My father sat down on the chair and he goes, well, and I thought he was going to get really mad. He said, uh, I guess I'm reaping what I sowed. Born in East St. Louis and robbing and whatever he done, he was reaping what he sowed. And, the, we, uh, and that's exactly what was happening with the flood. The word violence in Genesis 6 and 11 is translated from the transliterated word, Hebrew word, which... Uh, is Hamas and means willfully destructive acts intended 
to damage others. And the writer did not describe the depravity of these people in this specific detail in the Scripture, but it reaccounted other biblical times of human degradation, revealing a cycle of sadistic cruelty and violence toward others, the sins of greed, sexual immorality, murder, robbery, and vices such as drunkenness uh, probably prevailed in this degenerate society. Does that sound familiar in this last day? Genesis 6 Five through seven, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was con- only evil continually. The Bible said that they practiced sin. It's one thing to mess up, it's one thing to fail God in certain ways. That doesn't make you a man that practices sin, you just failed. But in this day and age, God was mad. He was angry because they continually practiced evil. And it repented the Lord that He had made man on the earth. And it grieved Him at His heart. If you think back of when God stooped down into the mud or the dirt and He he formed man with His hands and He breathed, breathed the breath of life in Adam's lungs and he looked at it and he saw that it was very good. Ten generations later, can you imagine how it grieved him to have to do what he was getting ready to do? Look at it through a father's point of view to his children. He, that's how evil that generation was. The Bible says that he began to repent You know it's bad when it forced God to fall on His knees and repent. Imagine how He feels today when He sees the world full of the junk and the the, the sin and debauchery the way it is now. Imagine how He feels today when He sees it seeping into the church house. Uh, Is it on And so we've come to the time, the Bible says, And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. He was sorry. He wished he could go back and redo it. That's the Scripture. Wickedness and filth had flooded the earth, so God determined to destroy it with a massive flood of His own making. He sent a warning through a man called Noah whose perfectness in the midst of corruption had caught the eye of God. I'm going to tell you something this morning. God always recognizes those who have separated themselves from this world and He gives to them a way of refuge and destruction when God sends judgment. Don't think that God has forgotten you. On your job, Brother Louie, when everybody else is around you talking filth and thinking filth and doing filth, don't think God has forgotten you in this day. Don't think God uh, has forgotten you, ladies, for walking in this world, holy looking, holy living, and holy talking. Don't think God looks past that because He remembers that. That's why God blesses His church, because our church is built on the foundation of righteousness and holy living. 
I know this ain't Sunday night, but I'm telling you the truth this morning. God is coming back after a church without spot or wrinkle. And God has His way of sifting through and picking those out who's living right. He knows. You can't hide from God. You can't do wrong and think you can hide it from God. He knows. The Bible says He knows every thought that we think. He knows what we we have in our heart. Don't think that you're going to hide anything from God because He knows. But you can rest assured, when you live righteous, God's rest and protection will be upon you. I feel like preaching here this morning. The Lord instructed Noah to build an ark, wooden ark, large enough and sturdy enough to preserve his family. Anyone else who would repent of their wickedness and every known animal species. Noah, the Bible says, was a just man and he was a perfect man in his generation. According to Genesis 6 and 9, he was like a sparkling cut diamond on a black velvet piece of material. Noah's righteousness stood out amongst the wicked and drew the eye of God. Don't think that he wasn't persecuted living like he did in that day. He was. He stood out like a sore thumb. When you are righteousness in the sight of God, you will not be accepted by this world. The biggest fear I have in Pentecost is when the world starts accepting Pentecost. I don't think they heard me. The biggest, I'm telling you, the biggest fear of, of, of our pastor, myself, and these ministry is when this world starts accepting apostolics like the, their own. The Bible says that we're going to be hated for His name's sake. We're different. People's going to hate us. People's going to laugh at us. I saw it last night when he was in a restaurant. 15, 20 apostolics show up in a restaurant in a college town. Everybody's drinking and, and, and doing whatever. And everybody stops and looks at us. Here comes a bunch of idiots. That's what was going through their mind. I can read it. I know what's going through your brain this morning. Oh, I'm tired. I can't wait to get home and get coffee and eat the roast. I can read your brain. See, I can read it. But this world hates us. And we got to be careful. Oh, we got to be careful trying to put ourselves in the position to be like them. Noah stood out like a sore thumb already. Before he started building that ark, he stood out like a sore thumb. His family, I mean, they, 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 they were the anointed ones. They were the righteous ones. Then God had to ruin it. And uh, giving this wild, crazy, unbelievable idea to build this huge boat because it never rained before. The world become darker and the, the brighter God's people shine for Him. As Noah's generation saw the light of this war, uh, God's righteousness through Noah, our generation also will see God's righteousness in us. Matthew 5 and 16 says, Let your light so shine before men 
that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Righteousness attracts the attention of God. Hebrews 1 and 9 says, Thou hast loved righteousness. That's talking about God. God loves righteousness. He loves holiness. He still loves separation. And that has not changed from 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. He still wants a church that still has righteousness and holiness. And what that tells me is if he hates or loves righteousness, he hates unrighteousness. Hates it. If he is attracted to holiness, what do you think he thinks about people that are unholy? If he loves separation, different, separate. If he loves that, how does he feel about the ones that are not? The Bible says that he hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. We have become righteousness and therefore... I'm excuse me, we have gotten the Holy Ghost and therefore we have got the hand of God in our life and the oil stands for His anointing and God glories in it. And He is glad, the Bible says, above everything else. He glories in our righteousness. God loves the sinner, but abhors their sin and wants them to repent. God loves righteousness because they trust His grace and strive to please Him. God provides everyone, say everyone, the opportunity to find His grace, which then grace leads to repentance. Second Peter 3 and 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. As men, some men count slackness, but as long-suffering to... Uh, to uh, us word, excuse me, not willing that any should perish, but that they should come to repentance. Now, now I'm not wanting to come and offend anybody this morning, and I'm not coming to make a funny. Although I, me and my wife did laugh. My wife laughed at me when I told her eh, what I was going to preach. <laughs> but the Bible says God is not slack in His promises. You know what that word slack means? Now, before I tell you, I want, to, I want to let you know something. I took training at Stonebelt for, for a while, and the word retarded has become a really bad word in our society. But retarded merely means that it's something or their mind, someone's mind stopped growing at a certain point of their life and then stopped. In some instance, it, it went backwards. Like when you see somebody that's mentally challenged, they call them retarded. Our children, you know, they make a big deal out of it. And sometimes we, we call things retarded. Or, and it's a negative thing. It's become a negative thing in our society. But the word retarded only simply means that it was stunted in growth. The Bible, that's what slack means. One of the definitions of slack is retarded. I told my wife I was going to preach a message that God is not retarded. Now, I know it sounds funny, but the fact is that 
he, he is not stunted in growth. He is more than able to reach out to a world regardless how bad they are. When we look at this world and see the news or read the news and we hear about the news, we go, my God, I wish God would just flatten them and destroy them. I'm sick and tired of the terrorists and all this stuff. God is more than able. He is not slack in His promises. He can save the worst of the worst. He can save your in-laws. Sorry, mother-in-law. She hates me. She hates it when I get up here. His, <laughs> the Lord is not slack. He is not stunted in His growth. He, his mercy endureth forever and ever. He'll go to no end. Progressive. Yeah, he stopped. He, if anything, he keeps going. He keeps getting greater. The Bible says, where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. In other words, the more sin there is, the more God there is. The more drugs that we see come into our school, the stronger God gets. He's not slack in his promises. And, but he is long-suffering toward usward. That is one of the biggest attributes that we need in our church is long-suffering. It is easy to get cynical against people, silly people that we call silly people that keep doing the same stupid thing over and over when the preacher says not to do it. They just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. Before long, the carnality of, of us, we, we, want, we tend to throw up our hands and say we're done with them. We, we don't want nothing to do with them. You know, let's not have any fellowship with them. Hey, if we're all honest, we'd, we would all agree that every single one of us have throwing her hands up with somebody. But it brings me back to the cross when when Jesus is crawling up the, the hill called Calvary and he, he looks over and he, he sees out of the blood and the grime in his eyes and he, he thinks, well, isn't that, the, isn't that the girl that I raised from the dead? And Why has she got a stone in her? Isn't, isn't, that the, isn't that the father of the, the son that I cleansed the leopard from? Isn't that, isn't that blind Bartimaeus? Isn't he the one? And then he, he claws his way up Calvary's hill. And then he says, drops the words that blow my mind. It's beyond me, Brother Davis. It's that he's not slack. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what to do. What are you talking about, Jesus? They know exactly what they're doing. You healed their children. You raised them from the dead. And you're, you had the audacity to say, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It was because he did not look at people 
through the carnality laws of the flesh and the eyes. He saw them through the blood of Jesus. I pray to God that every single one of us would get an understanding of the true, the true sacrifice in the blood of Jesus. If we can be saved and if God can find it in his heart to save us and spare us because we were once drunks and drug addicts and everything else under the sun, if he can save us, then he can save the ones that irritate us also. I didn't mean to preach there, but I'm... God gave no instructions for building the ark. He instructed it from go, or constructed it from gopher wood, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall, and waterproofed it with pitch. Three decks tripled the space, and the door, a single door in the side, allowed entrance, and one, uh, one window at the top and provided ventilation. Notice how specific, though. Notice how specific. God was on the instructions of the means of their salvation. If Moses... Why do I keep saying that? I'm studying two different messages right now. I've got a message on Moses, and I've got to get that out of my brain. If Noah would have put two doors in that ark, that thing would have never made it. If he would have made that pitch on top of that ark contrary to what God had told him specifically that thing would have ripped into pieces like toothpicks and it would have never floated which tells me that God's way of salvation is specific there is no other way into the throne room there is no other way into heaven. Grandpa didn't do it that way. I'm sorry. Ooh. What if, what if Noah said, we're doing it this way, and his kids said, well, we don't want to do it that way. And Noah, because he loved his children so much, he made excuses for them. Yeah, you can do you can put whatever you want on there. Do this. I have I have family that has went on before the Lord in, pa- in passing, went to their funerals, knew good and well that they didn't biblically do it the way it was supposed to be done. And I've questioned, oh, they were good people and they loved God in this. Here's the deal. I I can't do anything about what they didn't do or did. But I do know this, that I understand the way of salvation. I understand death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus said, I am the door. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you want into, the, into heaven, you've got to go to Jesus Christ. And if you've got to go to Jesus Christ, you have to take on His name. I went to church, to another church, to hear a gentleman preach this past week. And uh, I did it because I wanted to support him. And I figured if I went to hear him preach, maybe one day he'd come to our church. There was a man that used to go to this church. He was born and raised in the apostolic truth. 
And somehow we got on oneness versus trinity. And this young man looked at me and had the audacity to tell me. He said, oneness, trinity. He said, we're all headed to the same place and we all love the same one. He said, it doesn't matter how we get there. It just matters that we get there. People will make excuses because it's not has nothing to do with this. Nothing to do with this. It has everything to do with how they want to live. Many people choose a religion and a doctrine to fit their way of living. They don't want to change. It. They don't want anything that goes contrary and against the grain of the way they already live. Nobody wants to change. Because when you li- you're used to living the way you are, you're comfortable. You can go here. You can talk here. You don't have to be responsible for anything you say. You don't have to be responsible for how you live. You, 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 there, there's nothing, no obligation to change. But God spoke to Noah and He said, When you build this boat, you do it this way. What about Matthew twenty-eight nineteen when he said, Go ye therefore baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. I said, and this, this came up. I said they did what exactly what he said to do. They went out and baptized everybody in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I said, you cannot find anywhere in the Scripture that anybody was buried in the name of, Je- uh, in the, name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Everybody that was baptized was baptized in Jesus' name. I bet that guy said, but, five million times. And when we get before the throne of God, when we get there, he's going to say, what did you know? And we're going to say, well, I didn't know that. He's going to say, but, yeah, you did, because I sent Brother Hill to tell you. I sent Brother Davis to tell you. I sent... I guess what I'm trying to tell you is there is nothing else besides Jesus Christ. You want saved? If you're saved, you have to go through the same same thing that Jesus went through. He died, He was buried, and He was resurrected. You just don't have to take the stripes on your back and you don't have to, you don't have, to have nails run through your hands and your feet. All you have to do is repent, which represents death. I asked a guy that was sitting in my... He was giving me the interview. He got on salvation. He said, So you're telling me you have to be baptized to be saved? I said, Well, let's go to Second uh, Peter. And we read that wherein like baptism also saves us. He goes, Yeah, but what about this? I said, Let me ask you a question. I said, What does repentance stand for? I said, You have to repent and make it to, heaven, to, be, to, to have salvation? He goes, Oh, yeah. He said, he, I said, What's repentance stand for? He said, Death. I said, so all you have to do is repent. And, well, in his opinion, all you have to do, baptism is something is an extra curriculum if you want to do it. I said, okay, you, you repented. Okay, you're dead. What good are you to anybody? Oh, and I said, it goes a step further than that. I said, there's some people that say all you have to do is repent and be baptized. And it really doesn't matter. You can be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, or Jesus' name. 
I said, what does baptism represent? He goes, well, I, you're buried with... You're bur- burial? I said, well, I said, okay. If, I said, if you're dead and buried, I said, we'll have your funeral. I said, but the same Holy Ghost that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Holy Ghost that's going to raise me from the dead in that final hour. And that's what Romans 8 and 9 says. If you don't have the Spirit of God inside of you, you're none of His. And I said, if, if I don't have God's Spirit in me and I'm none of His, how in the world can I make it to heaven if I'm not even Jesus? He don't even claim me. If I don't have His Spirit, He won't even know my name. You're not a mind. So there's one plan of salvation. And you know what? It's amazing to me that people that have been apostolic for 30 and 40 years, they still make excuses. There's all kinds of ways we can do it. There's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. He, oh, I didn't mean to get on oneness, man. He got me fired up on oneness. He said, how in the world... He, this guy was asking me questions. He said, how in the world can Jesus Christ be sitting on the right hand of the Father? I said, first of all, Jesus, God, if He's a spirit, don't even have a right hand. And I said, he, I, I said, I said let me ask you a question. I said, let's separate them all. Holy Ghost is over here. Jesus is over here at McDonald's. And God's sitting on the throne. I said, when you get to heaven and you see God sitting on the throne, how in the world are you going to know He's sitting on it? Because God is a spirit. You can't see a spirit. I said, who are you going to see? You know what He said? Well, I reckon I'm going to be looking in the face of Jesus. I said, the Bible says that Jesus is the express image of God. I said, it's the same kind of image when you look in the mirror. Philip said, how, how can I know the Father unless you reveal Him to me? Jesus said, how long have you been with me? And not even know who I am. What He said was, I am the Father. You don't even know who I am? When you've seen me, you've seen the Father? And he walked away. And he was scratching his head. And he said, we got to get together more. And I, he goes, wow. He said, I never heard any of these things before. Preacher of the Gospel. We got to be firm in how we what we believe. We got to know it. We got to preach it with conviction. I'm gonna tell you something. I was sitting there and I was telling this guy, and I found myself without raising my voice. I was preaching. The anointing was on me, and that man had tears in his eyes. You could he could feel it. Let me tell you, if people don't understand it, they will still feel it. The anointing makes a difference, doesn't it? Certainly God could, uh, can I preach on, I'm only on my third page of notes and I got 47.6 pages. Certainly God could have saved Noah and his family by some other means other than an ark. But he used this method to provide a way for Noah to express his faith. James 2 and 14 through 20 says, What profit if, what doth it profit by brethren, though I, a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food? And one of you say unto him, Them depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What profit it? Even so faith, if it hath not works, it's dead, being alone. 
Faith without works is dead. You can't think of salvation. Faith is believing. I said to that young man, I said, well, you have, uh, you have to repent and have faith. I said, okay, if this roof was going to cave down in 25 seconds, I said, would you, what would you do? He said, I would get out of here. I said, so therefore, faith is not enough for you to be saved. I said, you've got to do something about it. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee a, my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. It's not enough just to believe God. It wasn't enough for Noah just to believe God he was gonna, that he was going to send a flood. He got up off his lazy backside, and he got to work. If you want salvation... You can't expect God to walk up in your house and just lay it in your lap. You've got to work for it. The Bible says that he that endureth to the end. Endureth is not a lazy man's word. It's a continual everyday thing until you die. If you want an ark of salvation to be applied to your life, you're going to have to start building your own salvation according to his plan. That's what Noah did. There's too many people building their own salvation without his floor plan. That's the problem. Working in vain. God provides His children, but He expects them to manifest their, their faith by, in Him by obeying His instructions. God calling he called Noah to gather besides his wife, his sons, and their wives. Noah gathered two of everything, every living thing, male and female, and seven of every clean animal. Those good for food and those good for sacrifice. Interesting, though, although God instructed Noah to bring all living creatures into the ark, it would have been impossible for him to go on a safari hunt and collect animals. They came to him. Listen to this. When Noah did what he could do, as God commanded, God provided for what Noah could not do. Do you realize the first step, the first two steps of salvation hasn't anything to do with God? God's work or is just His instructions. He said, repent, be baptized. It's up to us to be repented and be baptized. He said, you die out. It's your job. It's your job to be buried. It's our requirement. That faith works. But then he, he, he said, but I'm going to send the power. You do this, and I'll do the rest. Some things we're not able to do. You know why I've seen a lot of people I see a lot of people, Brother Davis, that come to the altar, and they'll be praying to God, and they'll be, they've repented. And that's what they're supposed to do. They've been baptized. That's what they're supposed to do. But they, they, they don't receive the Holy Ghost. And the fact is, it's because they're trying to get the Holy Ghost. They're trying to wrap their mind around it. They're trying to understand it. You're not going to understand it. You're not going to understand it when you speak in tongues. And people will shut the Holy Ghost off just as quick as, you, as anything when they, they, they know that they're getting ready to say something they don't understand, so they try to control it. 
if you would stop trying to control things and stop trying to get it on your own terms, then you would see the miraculous in your life. He said some, some water, some plant, some... But he said, it's, I'm the one that gives the increase. People want to do things their own way, and that will not happen in the kingdom of God. Isn't that just like the process of salvation? The ark is a type of the church today. Noah, uh, like Noah, a preacher of righteousness, God has called us to preach the gospel to the lost and gather as many as will come so they may be saved from the wrath to come. The church provides a safe place from a hostile element of evil and the future destruction of this world. The Spirit of God draws people to, the, to Him through our lives and words. It's up to us to build a church or an ark. And then we should gather. And then God does the rest. Build it and they will come. Probably never seen them. Second hmm. Peter two four and six through six says, "For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness, and be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah and eight person, a preacher of righteousness." bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with the overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly as a preacher of righteousness. Not only did Noah serve as a construction worker, but he also preached to anyone who would listen. When Noah finished his task, anyone could repent and changed from their wicked ways. And anybody could have had salvation. Some of us, some, let, me, let me just say, it's a, it's a tradition in Pentecost that many people think, well, I'm a preacher, I stand in the pulpit and preach, I don't have to teach Bible studies, I don't really don't have to work. I'm 36 years old and I've seen that. It's in our church as a spirit. People don't want to work. Noah said, I'm going to build and I'm going to preach. I'm going to work. I'm going to get my hands dirty. And then I'm going to preach. There's too many people that say, I, you know, witnessing's not for me. That's too much. Door knocking's, that, that's not for me. I, I don't have to do this. I don't have to show up on... And help the church. Noah's way of salvation was he had to build and do the dirty work before God could save him. We're going to get our hands dirty and making it to heaven, folks. We're going to do some things that we really don't want to do. You know, not just not just the mental strain of him building that ark in the middle of that big old field. But the mental strain of keeping three boys. I've got three boys. Keeping them involved. I have a hard enough time telling them to pick their wet towel up out of the floor so it don't smell like dirty gym socks. 
I know what it's like. And the mental strain. Salvation is not as easy as what people think it is. That, that I'm all oh, just fill out a card and, and, and I'm part of the church and I can do what I want to and I don't have to have any, any requirements. The fact remains is God said, hey, if you want salvation, Noah, you're going to have to work really hard for it. I hate a lethargic church. I, I, I hate the men, I should say I hate the mentality of a lethargic church. Let's just show up for church and sing a couple songs, and we'll 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 have a, a pastor can preach about fifteen minutes, and then go downstairs and eat potato salad. I hate that mentality. It's funny, but it's it's in our churches, and that's why churches aren't having revival because they don't want to work for nothing. Figure they can buy their way into heaven. Given to this or given to that. Hebrews 11 and 7. The Bible says, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith he, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. The Bible says that Noah was moved with fear. The fear. Now there's two different kinds of fear. The fear of condemnation. And the, and the godly fear reside at two opposite ends of the spectrum. Noah, being a godly man, he did not fear the judgment of the flood because Noah understood that God's judgment is not for the righteous but for the sinners, according to First Thessalonians and uh, says for and, and nine says, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Numerous biblical examples depict God sparing the righteous and, God, and then God punishing the wicked. For example, the ten plagues harmed the Egyptians, but not the Israelites. The earth swallowed up only the Hebrew rebels. And according to uh, Numbers 16, uh, Abraham and Lot and his daughters escaped the fire and brimstone of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the wrath fell on the wicked. We find in Ephesians 2 and 4, But God, who is rich in mercy... For His great love wherewith He loved us, God has no shortage of mercy. The Word of God tells us that Noah was moved with fear. But Noah did not fear the coming doom of the flood. He did not fear that. That's not what moved him. But his fear came from him not wanting to disappoint God. Thankful for a father, an apostolic father that taught me the right fear. He didn't teach me that God was some God up there like a lot of people believe. He's, he's like some big kid up there with a, uh, with a magnifying glass burning ants and, and, and causing bad things. You, you've seen that and read that. And people think that God's out to get them and all that. And people fear God. They think that's the fear of God. But he taught me not to fear God. Him and have a relationship with Him, but have a fear of not pleasing Him. I'll never forget, man, growing up when I was a kid, there were some things that I did not do. I was, a, uh, I was an idiot in some ways. But there were some things that, Brother Davis, that I did not do because I laid in bed at night not wanting to fear or not wanting to disappoint God. I did not want to disappoint Him in any way. 
I better not do that. I better not smoke that. I never have had alcohol to my lips. Never smoked cigarettes. Never done drugs. And it wasn't just because I feared my dad and he would have killed me. I mean killed me. I was respectful to young women. He would have killed me otherwise. But I did not do that, those things, because I had a fear that I was scared to death of God. But somewhere back in my heart and in my mind, Brother Davis, I feared because I, I wanted to please Him. Even though I knew in my life there was times I was not right in my heart. But that never left me. It never left me. And Noah somehow understood that the call of God upon his life was sacred. And he respected and he reverenced the Word of God and he obeyed it because he did not want to let God down. That's why he was moved with fear. The most crucial principle that we could teach our children is the fear in failing God. I'm convinced that the number one problem for backsliders is not offensive and hurts. It's not. It is, it's not because that somebody looked at them and said something about them or the pastor hurt them or the music director hurt them or whatever. It's, that is not. The number one problem with backsliders is that they do not have inside of them the fear of failing God. Because let me tell you something. When you truly love somebody, when you truly love somebody, you're going to do everything in your power to please that somebody. Some of your children, you do everything you could, you could to, to please your children and not let them down. Moms and dads, we learn to love God. We will do everything in our power to please Him. I don't want to go there. Why? Well, not because pastor said no. It's because I just don't want to let him down. I don't want to disappoint you. If we would live our life like that, that kind of fear, we would be all right. We would make it. I fear. I don't want to let you down, God, because I know that you died for me and you covered my sins with your blood. And if I bring those things up and I do uh, uh, go against your, your will, that I know that I'll hurt you and I don't want to let you down. That's the kind of conviction that brings apostolic revival in our churches when people fear that they don't want to fail God. He spent over a hundred years. I don't know how, exactly how long that Noah, it took Noah to build an ark. There's, everybody's got their things, and we, we, we've talked about that. But he took, oh, if it took 70 years, 100 years, some say 120 years, whatever. He took that long to get every detail right. I bet you that he had to change some things. I bet he, I bet he laid in bed at night on his pillow and said, you know what, I didn't do that and it kept him up he was so convicted because the word of god meant that so that much to him and he, he's like i've got to change no why don't we wait till tomorrow uh noah to, to change it it was why it's day he's like no i cannot go to bed with it not right 
I don't know about you, but there's been times that I have went to bed angry and something to my spirit, and I've woke up and the devil said, why don't you just wait till tomorrow to make a right? And no, I cannot make it. I cannot make it till tomorrow morning. I get up, I'll either walk around the house or I'll, I'll kneel beside my bed and I'll make it right. Why? Because I have got to make God happy. I don't fear His judgments. I'm secure in the salvation that He has for me. I just fear. I, I, I just want to be right. Noah saved his family. I'm almost done. Noah exemplified a good husband and, and a good father. He transmitted his father and uh, or his faith and calling to his family. And together they obeyed by, uh, by building the ark together. Together. Through the obedience of the building of the ark, they were participating in God's planned vehicle for their salvation. Noah didn't just get his family involved in helping build just because he needed the help. Listen to me. If you don't hear anything that I say, I want you to hear this. He got his family to help. Not just because he needed the help but because he understood the power of investment. If Noah would have said, Shem, Ham, Japheth, go do your own thing today. Don't worry about showing up and working today. Just go do your thing. He knew there would not be any sense of investment. And when it come time for it to start raining... Those three boys could have said, I don't have any blood, sweat, and tears in that ark. doesn't mean nothing to me. You ever seen a kid get a nice car, paid for and thrash it and just tear it up? They didn't pay for it. It doesn't mean nothing to them. But then you've seen these kids that stand at McDonald's. May I help you? Number one, extra fries. Working, paying for a car washing dishes at a place. They buy a car, and you know it doesn't matter what that car looks like. It could be a pile of rust. They're out there detailing it and, and making the carpet smell good. Why? Because it was an investment. And, God, and Noah said, I've got to get my children. Oh, my God, this is where I feel like preaching. He said, I've got to get my children involved in building the salvation. Because when we get there and it's time for us to get in, I'm not going to have to worry about them being there. I'm not going to have to worry about their salvation. Why? Because they will know that they've got too much invested. Too much invested to walk away. The problem with people in losing their children is because they don't get their children involved in the work of God. Oh, too many of our children 
that are walking away because mom and dad refused to make their children go to church. They refused to make their children learn that passage of verse when brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so says, learn the scripture. Oh, it ain't that important. Go do this. Go play video games. And then before long, the children are 15 and 16 years old and they have no investment in the church and they don't care about it. Oh. I want to build my salvation according to the plan of God. No, no other preacher, not because he told me, and, and I respect him and I love him. He, he's back there teaching or whatever. But I, I don't want to just do what he says just be, because I take his word for it. i got to get in the word of God. There's too many past preachers preaching wrong things to churches. And then I'll ask them, well, what's the Bible say about this? I don't know. The pastor said such and such. I don't know if it's really right. Yeah, this, this is right. I assume it's right. I don't want to assume anything. I want to know what my plan of salvation is. Because it's not his life. It's my life. And my family's life. So Noah didn't assume anything. Assumptions are like armpits. Everybody's got them. Oh, I got three pages of notes. Man, I feel like preaching. God's call today precedes His judgment. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 through 9 says, Inflaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that only not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. You mean to tell me that if I don't do this, if I don't just, just do this little thing right, He's going he's gonna to keep me from going to heaven? Hey, Adam and Eve got kicked out of eternal uh, eternal. Uh, beauty and, 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 and eternal life for eating a piece of fruit. You mean to tell me that God built this garden for Adam and Eve? I mean, everything he did had it in mind took time. Everything, his imagination, put everything he had into it. He spoke the words, he saw it, and it was good. He did it all for Adam and Eve. And you mean to tell me that he kicked them out because they ate? Kicked them out because of disobedience. The Bible warns of God's coming judgment upon the unrighteousness. And the Old Testament prophets warned of the consequences of rebelling against God's law. Many examples illustrate these consequences of disobedience. Excuse me. Both His Word and His ministry teach that the wisdom of the world cannot bring one into relationship with God. But God, by the foolishness of preaching, saves them that believe. 1 Corinthians 1 and 21. Just as Noah's ark become a vessel of escape from this worldwide flood in the day, we also have only one ark of salvation that will save us from the judgment of God's wrath. Noah and his family entered it into the ark by one door. One door. Some people believe that religions all around the world are like spokes. Big one, big spoke. Or with one hub in the middle. No matter what spoke they follow, everyone will ultimately arrive at the safety of the hub. They claim we all believe the same thing and we all believe that we're going to the same place. 
You've heard that. However, this cannot be the case. Jesus declared the only one way. He was the only one way, only door into the sheepfold. According to John 10, 1 and verse 4, the Scriptures warn that things will not always continue as they are today. Someday a calamity will befall. You'll be working in your garden. You'll be washing dishes. You'll be asleep at night. And one day, he'll come back. And it'll be too late. It's not three, three strikes you're out. This ain't baseball. You've got one strike. That's it. One time. The, 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 and it's clear. He's told us how to do it. I want to please God. I want to do it God's way and not my way. I, I want to prepare my own salvation. The Bible says work. That's what that scripture means when it says work out your own salvation. That's what Noah did. He worked it out. He built it. Didn't mean that he could build it wherever he wanted. Some of us would build, build a rubber raft, wouldn't we? Not. Wooden canoe. He said, according to his own plans. Work out your own salvation. What? With fear. Not fear against the judgment of God. But a fear in not pleasing God. Amen? Let's stand this morning. I want to make it. I want to make it. I want my family to make it. It's going to take a lot of hard work. There's going to be a lot of sleepless nights. There's going to be a lot of things that you don't want to do that goes against your grain. But if you're going to make it, you're going to make it not on your own accord, but according to God's plans and according to God's will. That's exactly what Noah did. Let's raise our hands this morning. And let's let God touch our minds. God, I pray right now that you would touch this congregation. I pray that you would touch us, God. Touch our minds. God, I pray right now that you would help us to understand that it's not my will, but yours. And God, help us not to follow our own understanding and lean towards our own understanding. But God, it's yours, your plan of salvation, your way of doing things, God, that we can escape this, the wrath of this world. I want to be like you, God, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Lord, we thank you for all you've done. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Men, there's going to be a men's meeting. I apparently, I'm thinking it's downstairs. And come and pray. Let's come tonight expecting God to do something great. Amen. Let's, let's go home today and let it not leave your mind that God is going to do something great today. Let's come tonight expecting to give to God. Because when we come expecting to give to God, that's when God gives back to us. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's shake somebody's hand. Let's shake the visitor's hand. And you're dismissed in Jesus' name.